0: I don't have a a crystal ball under my desk, but I say, you don't need to be able to tell the future to see what the future is going to be because it's written on the walls that if we use brands today, the most powerful brands today are used to express our identity, then the brands of tomorrow will have to be communal in nature that I use these brands to find people like me and we build communities, subcultures, because we are given
1: to do that. We are wired to connect. Welcome back to the Next Big Idea Daily. I'm your host, Michael Kovnet, and I've got a question for you. Why do you drive the car that you drive? Why did you buy the smartphone you use? Is it because, objectively speaking, those products have the best combinations of features at the best price? Maybe, but is it possible that to some extent the choice was less rational than that? Maybe it was a kind of signal, a way of letting yourself and the world know what tribe you belong to, the pickup truck tribe or the Prius tribe, the Android tribe or the Apple tribe. My guest this week is the marketer and academic Marcus Collins, author of the new book, For the Culture, the power behind what we buy, what we do and who we wanna be. For Marcus, understanding modern human consumption means understanding the history of these things we call brands, which began as basically a legal strategy in the 18th century. Branding has changed a lot since then, of course. And according to Marcus, it's about to change again. The future of
0: brand will be communal. The earliest established brand was founded in the 1700s by Josiah Wedgwood, who created pottery. To ensure that his pottery was not confused with other product offerings, he put his name on it and trademarked the name to signify ownership. This was how brand marketing was done in those days. You put a label on it and it served as a legal mark. Fast forward two and a half centuries later to the 1950s or so, marketers got the bright idea that we can convince more people to buy by using psychology. So marketers adopted value propositions, positioning statements, and cognitive associations to create familiarity in the minds of people and instill trust. In this way, brands move beyond being a legal mark to being trust marks. You know that saying, no one ever got fired for hiring IBM? Well, why is that? because IBM can be trusted, at least that's how the saying goes, which certainly benefited the business over the years. But by the 1980s, marketers grew tired of having transactional relationships with customers. They wanted to be loved by their customers. So they used advertising to tell evocative narratives where the brand played a character in the stories to move the brand from a trust mark to a love mark. Now, today's most powerful brands leverage culture to connect with people because of its connection to identity, where people consume as identity projects to express who they are to the world. These brands have evolved beyond love marks to becoming identity marks. And if that be the case, then tomorrow's brands will be all about community. Aristotle said it best, man by nature is a social animal. We're tribal in nature, given to gathering and communing in familiar groups. We want to belong. As we use brands to say something about who we are, we then find people just like us to form community. In this way, brands will transcend from being an identity mark to being a tribal mark where people within the community share a worldview and abide by the same cultural conventions and expectations. Today's technology actually facilitates this evolution of brand with more decentralized networks like Web 3.0 and greater media fragmentation. And the brands who are able to facilitate these communities will win, while the ones who are still worried about value propositions and making the logo bigger, those brands will lose.
1: You say in the 80s, companies decided they wanted to be loved, not just trusted. Do you have any examples of, of how that shift started? Yeah. So marketers said, you know, it's not enough people to buy our stuff.
0: We want relationships with people, mm-hmm. right? So this isn't about, you know, making statements, value propositions. This is about telling stories. So you start seeing in the 80s, these really robust narratives, Right, mm-hmm. these great stories and the brand is sort of just a product al- along mm-hmm. the way. Being I mean, immediately, I think about uh, the Michael Jackson Pepsi ad with uh, Alfonso Roberto when he's like in the streets, like doing his, he's doing a moonwalk, oh. and then he bumps into Michael. Then Michael turns around and go, "Oh my goodness!" They just start dancing, <laughs> and then
1: they break out a, a Pepsi.
0: Hey,
1: so, in that ad, is the idea that you'll attach your love of Michael Jackson to your? feelings about Pepsi. So it's just, right. it's a pretty easy kind of switch. And that's why you want celebrities attached to your brands in those That's cases. right, right. It gives it context. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I grew up uh, as a kid in the
0: 80s and I remember affectionately Saturday morning cartoons. Oh my goodness, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> and if you think about those cartoons, they were made by toy companies mm-hmm. because the toy companies had these toys first. And they were like, how do we get kids to buy these toys? Let's tell stories about them. So right. you start getting Transformers, He Man, My Little Pony, and you start getting these these real, these uh, narratives, yeah. and we fall in love with the characters, and therefore we then uh, we then consume, and this is what brands are going after. You know, Sachi Sachi referred to these as love marks, and mm-hmm. brands had been after love forever. I mean, that became a metric by which we measure whether a brand was powerful. It Was mm-hmm. like was it loved? But I would argue today, you know, we have seen another. Shift Mm -hmm. in 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 brands that it's not about being loved as much as it
1: is having an impact or having some place in culture. It is more about Mm. identity. Yeah, I mean, and there's some interesting examples. You tell the story of getting on the subway in New York in the early days of the iPod and putting your white earbuds in and immediately catching the eye of someone else with white earbuds. And you went, okay, you get it. We're Apple people. That's right. Apple is probably, it comes to my mind uh, as the most cult-like identity mark at the moment, or at least let's say it was. and, And it sort of transcended that and went from being a sort of cult item to being this monster international brand, but maybe because it first created this sort of love and then identity, you know, I'm the kind of person who doesn't use a PC. I'm an Apple person because, you know, I'm a Mac, not a PC, right? They did that ad campaign. Hello, I'm a Mac. And I'm a PC. You know, we use a lot of the same kinds of programs. Yeah, like Microsoft Office. But uh, we retain a lot of what makes us, us. Uh, well, you should see what this guy can do with a spreadsheet. It's insane. <laughs> oh, shucks. Yeah, and he knows that I'm better at life stuff, like music, pictures, movies, stuff like that. Well, whoa, whoa what, what exactly do you mean by better? By better, I mean making a website or photo book is easy for me, and for you, it's not. Oh, oh that kind of better. Yeah. I, I was thinking of the other kind. What other kind? It's amazing how they kind of pulled that off. I mean, do you have any, is that one of your favorite examples? Do you have other examples of brands that right now that have done the identity thing really well? Oh, plenty of examples. But I mean, the the Apple one is,
0: it's so so spot on Mm -hmm. because Apple realized it by ensuring that their marketing communication played on identity. Like, do I want to be the cool irreverent guy or the square guy? I don't right. want to be the square guy. It's <laughs> going to be the irreverent guy, right? So, so there were there, there was a presentation of of what you could be right if you don't have an apple. And and it's interesting, you know, Apple used to be about bucking the status quo, but now Apple is the status quo, right? Which is that? Right. So so yeah. saying I'm an Apple person doesn't feel distinctive at all. Right. You go, yes, yeah, so am I, dude. I have an iPhone in my pocket. What are you talking about? You <laughs> <know>? <laughs> but back in yeah. the day to be an Apple their own person. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. And and one would argue that like Apple's still trying to figure out its identity now in a world where they are the status quo. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're they're still benefiting from the years of just amazing work uh from the brand identifying who it is, how it sees the world, so that people who see the world similarly goes, oh, that's a brand for mm-hmm. me. But I mean, if you look at some of the features that are in the iPhone, they've been on Androids, and I'm self-aware enough to, to say that, but Chico mm-hmm. never catch me dead with a Samsung <laughs> in my pocket. Why? Because I'm
1: an Apple guy, right? It's a part of my identity. No, I mean, the Apple versus Android thing is deep. I, I, I've I've noticed it in my own community. Like, it, I mean, it's, it's as strong as Democrat, Versus Republican or something like seriously you're in this community or you're not and I have one of my brothers uses an Android and it's it's always felt like what's what's going on man are you all right <laughs> like <laughs> get with the program man I've
0: seen <laughs> a group chats like a green bubble pop up and I go who are you <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what are you yeah. doing
0: Like, what are you doing because. Yeah people like us do something like this. Yeah. And when you don't, you go, man, what, 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 what's what's going on here? And to your point earlier, uh, that we do that without even thinking, why? Why yeah. are we so attached to it? We're attached to it because our identities are attached to it. And I yeah. think this, it leads to the, the next shift from mm-hmm. uh, a love mark to identity mark to now what I will say is the future of brand. And look, I'm not clairvoyant, I don't have uh, a crystal ball <laughs> under, my, under my desk, uh, but I say you don't need to tell the future, be able to tell the future to see what the future is gonna be because it's written on the walls. Okay. That if we use brands today, the most powerful brands today are used to express our identity, then the brands of tomorrow will have to be communal in nature that I use these brands to find people like me. And we build communities, subcultures, because we are given to do that. We are wired to connect. So Mm -hmm. I find other people who go, oh man, you you, you love Game of Thrones? I love Game of Thrones too. So does Michael, come over here, Michael. This guy talks about the same thing we just talked about the other day. And Uh then we come together. We fortify our shared perspectives in an
1: effort to promote social solidarity among ourselves. Yeah, I mean, I think you mentioned the whole MAGA movement in your book, and the, you know, the hats and the word and the catchphrases, and you know that that's real communal marketing, right there. That's right, <laughs> the rich in culture, rich in yeah. culture. I mean, you know, I
0: talk about this in the book as well. Actually, I lead the book off with this thing about the recession, two thousand eight. Mm-hmm. It brought a lot of terrible things to to the country, or say the world, because of just how interrelated our our economy is. But it did bring one gift. And that gift was the urban hipster. <laughs> <And> the urban <laughs> hipster, you know, these guys, ironic facial hair, mm-hmm. man buns, and uh, you know, uh, suspenders and, and plaid, and they didn't drive cars; they rode bikes. And mm-hmm. but interestingly, their alcoholic beverage of choice, mm-hmm. PBR. Right. right. Why is that? Because as a community, they believed in egalitarianism, self-expression, and okay. right? individuality, and so does PBR as a brand. Mm. And because of this. PBR became a billion dollar business because of these urban hipsters at a time when the category was declining, PBR was having hockey stick growth, right? right? So because of who this community is and how they see the world, they found a brand
1: that are receipts of their identity. Well, that's it for today, listeners. Hey, if you're looking for a brand that will signal you're a pretty sharp, tuned in type of person... How about the Next Big Idea Club? When you join up, we'll send you a selection of the best new nonfiction as chosen by our curators Adam Grant, Dan Pink, Susan Cain, and Malcolm Gladwell. You'll get reading guides, video and audio masterclasses, and access to a community of like-minded, curious people. Come join our tribe at nextbigideaclub.com and use the promo code DAILY to get 10% off. And come back tomorrow when Marcus will share more of his insights on the culture of consumption and maybe help you get a little wiser about what you buy.